If you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And while you're turning there, I just want to welcome you. I'm Wilson Shirley. I'm the director of student ministry here. And Joseph is not preaching this morning. I am. Joseph was at the uh, PGA Viking Classic this morning and got a chance to be the chaplain there and preach there. And he asked me to fill in this morning. So thank you, Joseph. And we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 to 21. This is God's holy and authoritative word. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we do ask this morning that by your Spirit you would lay your truth upon our hearts, Lord, that you would teach us your way, that we would see your gospel more clearly. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it wasn't long ago that my wife and I had the privilege of going on a date. Husbands, I encourage you to date your wife. We have young ones at home, and so we don't get out for a date very often. Uh, But it wasn't long ago, we were at a restaurant, it was a a perfect evening, we were enjoying each other's company, we had good food, good fellowship, we ran into some friends, and just when we thought the night couldn't get any better, uh, we were ready to go, we asked the waiter to to give us the check, to give us the bill, and he says, you don't have one, (laughs) and we thought, pretty sure we just had a nice meal here, spent, spent a little money. And that we should have a bill. He said, no, I'm sorry, it's, it's been taken care of. Uh, you, 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 you can go now. <laughs> it was a very weird, very awkward feeling. I'm, you know, we were thinking, now wait a minute, what, what's going on here? And we, and we looked over and there were some dear friends who saw us there and, and picked up our tab for us. Um, we didn't have to do anything. Uh, we just felt covered in grace. You know, the southern part of me, southern people aren't good at accepting gifts. We wanted to go, well, come on, let me pay you for this. But... But that wouldn't be right. That, that wouldn't be grace. That, that would be missing the point of the gift, right? It's, it's just an amazing feeling to know that your, your debt has been, has been covered, has been completely covered. Well, why do I tell you that story? Well, I'll tell you that in case you see me out and about having dinner, you can pick up. No, I'm kidding. Um, I'm totally joking. Now, this illustration, this story, it, it points us to the gospel. It does pale in comparison to the gospel, but it does point us to the truth of the story of the gospel, that we who were enemies of God because of sin, who owed a great debt to God, a tremendous debt, we have been restored to friendship with God because of the saving work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sin. Jesus canceled our debt on the cross. He covered our tab. He paid it in full. We have been reconciled to God because of Jesus' work on the cross. And this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news because there has been a great 
reconciliation. The gospel is the good news because there has been a great reconciliation. Well, what does reconciliation mean? Well, reconciliation simply means to bring to an agreement, to, to bring to harmony. Uh, a more legal definition was given to us by Simon Kistemacher. He says, reconciliation takes place when two parties estranged from each other are brought back into a harmonious relationship through the efforts of a mediator. We might give a more theological definition of reconciliation and say that it's the act of God's free grace whereby he initiates peace with man by repairing the broken relationship. Reconciliation is God's saving work on the cross. This is a message that the Apostle Paul had to say much about in his letters. He is, was, we are being taught in reconciliation that it's God who reconciles the relationship between himself and between us. Jesus brings harmony between God and man. He is our mediator. But reconciliation by definition implies that there was a problem and that there is a problem. The problem is that man is not in a right relationship with God because of rebellion, because of sin, and something must be done to reconcile this relationship. Reconciliation is is needed because the entire universe has been completely out of whack since the fall into sin. And the good news, the good news is that God, through Christ's bloodshed on the cross, He has brokered a great reconciliation for us. And so this passage has something to say to us about reconciliation. And I want us to look at three things about reconciliation from this passage. One is, we have been reconciled by God. Two, we have been reconciled because of sin. And three, we have been reconciled to righteousness. The first is, we've been reconciled by God. Look in verse 18, will, will you, there in the passage. The gospel of reconciliation is from God. Look at what he says in verse 18. All this is from God. It is he who does the great work of repairing this relationship. Notice in this passage, the emphasis is on God. It is his work. Six times in this passage, Paul emphasizes that reconciliation is from God. Look at verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him. The emphasis is here, is on God the Father. It is God's work. Reconciliation is one-sided in that God the Father initiates the process. He comes to be reconciled to us. Sinclair Ferguson says this, the gospel is not about something we do. It is about what has been done for us in Jesus Christ. It is God who does the work. Well, how does God the Father reconcile the relationship with sinners? He does this through the cross of Jesus Christ, through Christ's work on the cross. And notice again the emphasis in this passage on the work of Christ. In verse 17, it is in Christ. Verses 18 and 19, it is through and in Christ. Verse 20, it is on Christ's behalf. It is God who does the work through and in 
Christ. But perhaps if you look there in verse 21, this is the most significant demonstration of the reconciling work that God has done for us. It says, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. This does not mean that Christ became a sinner, for we know that he was without sin. This passage says, for he knew no sin. No, this verse means that he was made to be sin for us. He was, he was treated as sin. He was regarded as sin on our behalf. And is this not the most elementary teaching of the gospel? Is this not the, the good news that we want our children to know and to proclaim and to profess? That Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And this is what this verse means. Now, how do we apply this? Well, to be truly gripped, to be truly amazed by this great reconciliation, we need to see that it is God who initiated and who completed this amazing work of grace. We've been reconciled by God. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, not anything you can do, not anything you can work to obtain. It is reconciliation by God and God alone. We've not only been reconciled by God, but this passage also says that we've been reconciled because of sin. We have been reconciled because of sin. At the heart of reconciliation, it says in verse 19, is that God does not count our sins against us. God does not count our sins against us. In the call to worship from Psalm 32, King David knew this and proclaimed this. He said, Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Is that not the most glorious proclamation from all of the gospel and all the word of God that God does not count our sin against us in Jesus Christ? Well, what is sin? This passage mentions sin three times. So sin is something that we need to deal with. Sin is something we need to reckon with. It's an important issue. It's at the heart of this matter of reconciliation. But sin is defined in many different ways by many different people. And we have three adversaries coming against us that are giving us very wrong definitions of sin. First would be the world. The world would tell you that sin is nothing more than just a hiccup in your personal character or something that makes you uh, unpro- an unproductive citizen. It's not really that big of a deal. The world downplays sin. And we can see that in our culture very clearly. What about Satan? Well, think about the first recorded sin in the book, first book of the Bible in Genesis where the tempter comes to Adam and Eve. And he, what does he say about sin? He characterizes sin as nothing more than God's way of manipulating you into guilt so that you won't pursue your own happiness. Sin is is God's problem, not yours. That's what Satan would tell us. What about our own hearts? The Bible says our hearts can deceive us. Our own hearts and minds can deceive us, making us think that sin is nothing more than just a mere character flaw and it has no ramifications on our well-being. We can just move along in life without it. But the Bible, the scriptures have something very different to say about sin. It defines sin very differently. Matter of fact, when the Bible speaks of sin, it always mentions sin in conjunction with God. It does not associate sin with God, but it makes the association that our sin is always against God. Our sin offends God. 
Therefore, God's definition of sin and the world's definition of sin are very different ideas. So since God is the offended party in sin, we can simply define sin as disobedience toward the holy God. In the New Testament, the, New Testament, the idea of, of sin is, is further conveyed by another idea, that sin is missing the mark. And the idea of missing the mark means that if God's standard of, of holiness, which is his absolute perfection, if God's standard is that mark, absolute holiness and perfection, then falling short of it or not hitting that mark is sin. You can imagine for yourself an archer taking aim at a target, and his goal is to hit the bullseye, is to to hit the target. But sin is taking aim at righteousness, taking aim at holiness, trying to, to be that righteousness that God requires, and missing the target completely altogether. It is missing the mark. The Bible says in Romans 6, 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we define sin as that which is contrary to God, specifically not obeying His word or His will that is revealed in the Scriptures. Therefore, sin, by its very nature, is an attack on the holiness, on the character of God. Sin is missing His standard of absolute perfection. Why should we worry about sin? We should worry about sin because it is an assault on the character and on the holiness of God. Sin offends him. Because God is holy, because he is set apart, because he is totally perfect, and because he is just, because he always does what is right, our sin must be dealt with. Sin must not and cannot go by the wayside. It must be punished. And God, being perfectly just, He cannot and He does not allow sin to go unpunished. It is against His character. His holy wrath, His righteous anger must rain down on sin. Your godlessness, your wickedness, your sin arouses an all-holy God to anger. Your sin has made you an enemy of God. Now, I know that is not a, a happy and refreshing thought this morning, but it is the truth when we consider the holiness and the majesty of God. But I think we need to understand this because this passage does not grip us like it should. It does not bring us to its, our knees like it should because we do not see ourselves as enemies of God. We don't. We see ourselves quite differently, actually. We see ourselves as, as, as lovely and as beautiful and that God, He should be happy to know me. God should be happy that I'm His friend. That's the way, if we're honest with ourselves, we view ourselves. But the Bible says we're enemies of God because of our sin. And we must recognize that our sin against a three times holy God has made us His enemy. And seeing yourself as an enemy of God should cause you to do one of two things. The first is it should cause you to praise the amazing grace of God because He has brought reconciliation between you, His enemy, and Himself. 
And that is a point of praise. That is a point of gladness. But secondly, the seeing that you are an enemy of God should bring you face to face with the reality that the fire of hell is reserved for the enemies of God. Sin cannot go unpunished. Our sin has made us an enemy of God and reconciliation is needed because of our sin. But the glorious thing is that reconciliation has been provided because of Jesus' work on the cross. So we have been reconciled by God. We have been reconciled because of sin. But last, we've been reconciled to righteousness. What is righteousness? Romans 1 verse 17 says, For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith. Righteousness is quite simply what God requires. Righteousness is what is right. Righteousness is what we need, is what we we have to have to be reconciled in this relationship with God. So why is righteousness important? Righteousness is important because for mankind to be spared from the wrath of God because of sin, we must be made right with God. The gospel is the good news because in Jesus Christ, we have been made right with God because He is the righteous one. Romans 3.22 tells us that this righteousness, this righteousness that we need is from God and it is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. This righteousness is from God in Jesus Christ and it's paramount to understand as 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 puts it that this righteousness is of God. It is from God. This righteousness is what is required to stand before a holy God and can only be given by one who is perfectly righteous, can only be given by one who can stand before God in and of himself in his righteousness, and that is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the perfect righteousness of God, and he provides this righteousness for us. And this righteousness is not by works. We cannot earn it. It is from God. Look with me again in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. This is an important verse and one that we should meditate on daily because it is the gospel. Jerry Bridges says this about this verse. It would not be an understatement to view this verse properly understood as the single key verse of the entire Bible. In my opinion, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of the most, if not the most, important verse in the Bible. And as Bridges says, it is a key to the entire Bible because it beautifully illustrates the great exchange that takes place when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. We, we, we've known that since we were, we were children. And that is an, a huge, important part of the gospel that we need to go that, know that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And so what took place on that glorious day on Calvary is that God, for those who belong to, to Him in Christ, He took our sin and put it on the cross, and Jesus died for us. The wrath of God was poured down on our sin by Jesus' death. But something else even more beautiful happened that we need to know, that we need to understand. 
And that is that righteousness was provided. We need to be right with God. We need the righteousness of God. So not only was our filth, was our sin put on Jesus Christ, but his righteousness was put on us. The theologians call this double imputation. Our sin was imputed to Christ on the cross and his righteousness was imputed, was given to us. And so that this is how amazing the gospel is. When we stand before the all-holy God, if we have put our trust in Christ, if we, our faith is in Him, we stand there not in our own filth, not in our own sin. But if you are in Christ, you stand there in the righteousness of Christ. The robe of righteousness has been, has been placed upon you, and you can stand there before God. In Christ, we have been made right with God. Now, I already went out on a limb and I told you this was one of the most important verses in the Bible. Can I say that, Pastor Week? Can we go with that one? Um, I'm going to challenge you to go home today, tonight, lunch with your friends, lunch with your family, and memorize this verse. If you have not memorized this verse for more, don't cheat yourself. Get this, this, this nugget of immense truth and hide it in your heart. Share it with your family. Talk about it with your family. But that, so that is the challenge. That is the homework as you go home today to memorize 2 Corinthians 5.21 and lay it upon your heart because of the beauty of the gospel that is revealed there. Well, how do we apply this message of reconciliation? The first thing is there in verse 20 that Paul says, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. It's almost said in a passive sense because we can't really do anything about it because it is, it is God in Jesus who has to do the reconciliation. But there is this element of faith, faith in the reconciliating work that Jesus did on our behalf. And so the call to be reconciled is the call of the gospel to repent and to believe, to turn away from sin, to see that sin offends holy, a holy God. And to turn to Christ, who has not only taken away our sin, but as we just described, covers us with his beautiful righteousness so that we stand before the throne of grace, not in our own sin, but we stand there by grace in the righteousness that has been provided by Jesus Christ. And so we stand before God. He sees his son. He sees the beautiful righteousness of, our, of his son, and that is yours by faith. In Christ, this righteousness is Jesus's righteousness to all who believe. So believe. He says here, be reconciled. Believe that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, for you, so that in him we, you, might become the righteousness of God. We are to be reconciled. Secondly, we are to spread this message of reconciliation. Look, look there in this passage at what he says. This act of God leads us to be missionaries. Because of reconciliation, we're all called to be missionaries, to be ambassadors of this message of reconciliation. Look at what he says in verse 18. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In verse 19, he has committed us to the message of reconciliation. And therefore, we are called to tell this glorious message of reconciliation that God in Christ 
was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them. That is a beautiful message. That is not a harsh message. That is not an offensive message. It is a beautiful message that God does not count your sins against him in Christ. And we are called to go and to share that and to be that, to be an ambassador. When I think of the word ambassador, I think of something just very stately, very important. And so you can all go home in Christ and say, I am an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And I want to share this message of reconciliation that God has brokered through Christ. I want to end with, a, with an illustration, a story that I think beautifully tells about this great reconciliation. It was told by a man named Albert Cuey, who is the president of Prison Fellowship Ministries. He says this, The man I ate dinner with tonight killed my brother. The words spoken by a stylish woman at a prison fellowship banquet in Seattle amazed me. She told of how John H. had murdered her brother during a robbery. He served 18 years in prison, then settled into life on a dairy farm where she had met him in 1983, 20 years after his crime. Compelled by Christ's command to forgive, Ruth had gone to her enemy and pronounced forgiveness. Then she had taken him to her father's deathbed, prompting reconciliation. Some wouldn't call this a success story, he tells. John didn't dedicate his life to Christ. But at a prison fellowship banquet, his voice cracked as he said this. Christians are the only people I know that you can kill their son and they'll make you a part of their family. He said, Christians are the only people I know that you can kill their son and they'll make you a part of their family. That is how you need to see yourself. You killed the Son of God. You are an enemy of God. Your sin nailed Jesus to the cross. And then God says, come and be my child. Come and be with me. Is that not the most amazing testimony of grace there ever is? We need to see ourselves as enemy of God that we killed Jesus, that we nailed him to the cross by our sins, but God has made us his children. He goes on to say, John's story is unfinished. He hasn't accepted Christ yet. But just as Christ died for, uh, for us, regardless of our actions or acceptance, so Ruth forgave him without qualification, and even more so, She became his friend. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting men's sins against them, and makes us his friend and makes us his child.
And that is what this table before us this morning is about. It is the Lord's Supper. It is the mill of reconciliation. It is the mill that points us to the cross where Jesus' blood was shed on our behalf and his body was broken for us. And God says, come and dine with me. Only friends, only family get to go and dine with God. This is the amazing grace of the reconciliation that God has done for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning confessing to you that we are not worthy in and of ourselves to come this morning and dine with you. But we know because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ on the cross that we are invited, that we have been given an amazing invitation because of your grace. And so, Father, as we partake, may we see your grace and see it more fully. Thank you that Jesus reconciled us by dying on the cross and not counting our sins against you and giving us his righteousness. We praise you for this amazing work of grace in Jesus' name. Amen.